1: Blog Talk Radio Welcome to the Nonprofit Coach with Ted Hart, the most listened to internet radio show in the nonprofit sector, dedicated to helping your charity succeed. It's no secret that combining online and offline techniques is the key to modern-day fundraising success, and practical advice is what you need. The Nonprofit Coach with Ted Hart is the perfect landing point to learn from experts around the world who provide advice you can use. Ted Hart is without a doubt one of the foremost nonprofit thought leaders, also a successful author. His books range from successful online fundraising to the use of social media and how to make your nonprofit green. Guests on The Nonprofit Coach are leaders in their field who share tips and trade secrets for nonprofit management and fundraising success. Ted lectures around the world, but now he's here for you. From the latest in charity news, technology, fundraising, and social networking, Ted and his guests help you and your organization move to greater levels of efficiency and fundraising success. This is a live call-in show. Add your voice by calling 347-324-3080. After the show, you can find all our podcasts at tedhart.com. Click on Radio. Don't forget to dial 347-324-3080. Now, welcome the host of The Nonprofit Coach, Ted Hart.
2: And welcome to this latest edition of The Nonprofit Coach. Thank you so much for joining uh, me here on uh, on The Nonprofit Coach today. We've got a very important show for you. Uh, Clint O'Brien is back, and he's been here on the show several times. Always a very popular guest here on The Nonprofit Coach Uh, But today he's coming to us from Engaging Networks, and this is the day for you to really learn all about how you can succeed uh, with social fundraising. Now, here on The Nonprofit Coach, as always, this is a live call-in show, so you can call in and ask questions. A lot of people like to ask questions over in the chat room, so you can join us, questions there, uh, or you can email me your questions today at Hart at tedhart.com. Dot com. As always here on the Nonprofit Coach, we start with page one news. Uh here on the Nonprofit Coach, as you know, we're a fan of the Google uh nonprofit program, very impressed by an organization that would provide so many free services to the nonprofit sector, particularly smaller nonprofits that often don't have the budget to be able to succeed. Here on page one, um, I do want to provide you a little bit more information. Uh, during the show today, as we often do, we will provide uh, tips and hints on how you can succeed with the Google for Nonprofits program. But I do often get a lot of emails from around the world wondering where this program uh, is actually in place. And so if you are listening to us today from Australia, Canada, the Czech Republic, England, France, Hungary, Japan, New Zealand, Poland, Slovakia, Wales, uh, or the United States, then you are uh, in luck. Uh, These are uh, uh, countries where nonprofit organizations can receive uh, full benefits of the Google for Nonprofits uh, program. You do need to register and details are available uh, at google.com forward slash nonprofits. There are specific um, uh, registration details for each country. Um, They do want you to know over at Google uh, that these are for nonprofit organizations, not for governmental entities or organizations, hospitals or healthcare organizations. Schools, child care centers, academic institutions, or universities are asked instead to register through Google in Education uh, as the the uh, the program. Lots of benefits that are available. We'll share a little bit more about that as we often do here on the nonprofit coach, urging you to save money where you can and to uh, access the excellent services that are available uh, through Google. Um, with that, we're going to uh, make sure we've got lots of time for Clint O'Brien to share all of his information with us today, so we're going to make an early start of page two. Clint O'Brien has been a leader in the nonprofit sector for online engagements for uh, many, many years. He is now serving as Chief Operating Officer of software company Engaging Networks, which you can find at engagingnetworks.net. Many top nonprofits, including Amnesty International USA, Human Rights Watch, Pew Charitable Trust, PETA International, the Humane Society International, and 30 separate Greenpeace country organizations globally all use the flexible benefits of the engaging networks online platform to raise money, win advocacy campaigns, and engage with uh, supporters in a smart, highly targeted way. Now, you you may remember uh, that Clint has been with us, as I mentioned, several times. He spent nine years leading the marketing and sales team very successfully at CARE2. Uh, They have 26 million member online community Uh, People that are taking action to support many causes, and Clint uh, helped them grow and and grow into uh, one of the leading providers uh, in the nonprofit sector. Uh, He is uh, in a former career. uh, Clint worked as a news reporter, first in Washington, D.C., and later as a Moscow correspondent for AP and Newsweek, covering the breakup of oh, the Soviet Union, very exciting time, 1991 to 1993. He's a graduate of Brown University and the Wharton School of Business. Uh, he le- lives near Washington, D.C. Most importantly, uh, Clint O'Brien is now with Engaging Networks and he is live here with us on The Nonprofit Coach. Clint, welcome back here to The Nonprofit Coach.
3: Thanks, Ted. Always a pleasure.
2: Well, it's great to uh, to have you back. I, I know that uh, we've wanted to have you back for quite some time, particularly with uh, uh, all the uh, changes that we see, and that seems to be the constant in the online world for what's working and what's not working. So I do want to get into uh, those details. We've got a lot to share with our, our audience today. Uh, but before we get there, um, give us uh, some background information into What is Engaging Networks? You have a very impressive client base. Um, Why have they chosen Engaging Networks?
3: Well, Engaging Networks has been around for 15 years and uh, was already well-known outside of North America prior to about 2008, 2009, when the company kind of relocated its home base to Washington, D.C., and began paying more attention to nonprofits here in the USA and Canada. But uh, the company was founded back in the U.K. in the year 2000, and from the get-go was a digital platform for engaging with your supporters and donors um, through advocacy campaigns like petition campaigns, but also through email marketing and smart, highly personalized ways of, you know, of getting your donors to share their thoughts with you. So it's a two-way conversation with your donors and your prospective donors. Um, Early on, the software platform conquered the problem of how to cope with any language and any currency, which is turning out to be very important now to a lot of U.S.-based nonprofits that are kind of moving overseas. Uh, But on top of that, it's developed as just a really super, highly innovative platform, very flexible and open for tying in different web applications in a very um, powerful and customizable way. So I would say particularly uh, as more and more nonprofits are looking for uh, what we call eCRMs, you know, online CRM systems that can tie back to their database of record, their CRM, um, we've become a very popular choice.
2: Well, that, of course, is, I I think for a lot of uh, listeners right now, as soon as they they start hearing about you know a great new uh platform that they should consider, even though engaging networks has been around for for uh a while has certainly uh been uh embedded in in uh, a lot of campaigns for a number of years For a lot of my listeners it's it's maybe a, a new voice uh a new platform for them to consider, and immediately they start getting concerned uh, about things being separate and different databases and more work and how can I streamline. So talk a little bit more about how you folks um have sort of cracked that code or make it possible uh for things to become more streamlined.
3: Well that's a really important question for so many organizations and for good reason. Uh you know, more and more nonprofits want to have a so called three hundred sixty degree view of what their donors and supporters are doing. And that's pretty hard if your data is siloed off in lots of different databases. And so it's really one of the major problems that the technology sector has tackled in recent years. Um, At Engaging Networks, it's pretty rare. I'd say only less than 10% of our clients use us as what we call the database of record, you know, the master storehouse of data from all of your channels, including direct mail, including telemarketing, including street canvassing, and all the various channels that nonprofits use. Rather, the the way that nine-tenths of our clients use our software is as the online layer, the online engagement platform that plugs back into their database of record uh, but is the place where they do most of the online communication with their donors and prospects. And so the way you can cope with having two separate databases is to have a really tight uh, integration between those databases where you are... Synchronizing the data back and forth between the two databases on a regular basis—you know, usually a daily basis—but uh, in some cases even more frequent than that. So that's something we've invested a lot of time and energy and thought into, and we have custom integrations with the, the big three uh, donor databases of record, which you know, based on market share, are uh, the Blackbaud Razor's Edge, Salesforce.com and uh, Roy Solutions, so we have custom integrations for them. But we also have an open API, which a lot of your listeners know that refers to uh, um, uh, Application Programming Interface, and that's basically a way to tie in, theoretically, to any other web application or any other database, Uh, but it does require, you know, a one-time setup exercise that's not trivial for a lot of organizations, which is why we thought in the case of the big three we should have custom integrations that are all ready to go.
2: Well and I think that that certainly puts it within within reach uh in terms of if I already have one of those platforms uh the the integration from your perspective is is already there. Talk a little bit about the those platforms like Blackbot and others that that have big client bases i think uh, uh, certainly a lot of nonprofits are beginning uh to really look at salesforce. Um are is it sort of a, a, a one way partnership or do you have um specific partnerships in place with those platforms that makes it a two way communication?
3: Well it's interesting. We we uh we don't have a direct partnership in place with Blackbot for the Razor's Edge integration, and we don't have a direct partnership with Salesforce uh to speak of, but we do have a pretty direct partnership in place with Roy Solutions. Uh, mainly because we we have a number of clients in common and that seems to be an increasing trend um, but it's possible to build an integration that still works pretty tightly in the case of salesforce we actually hired a third party that was already blessed by salesforce uh, to produce a really good integration and so they built it for us even though we own it and maintain it um, and i guess the proof that they were uh... blessed by salesforce is that after they built the integration for us they were actually acquired by <laughs> salesforce so doesn't oh, okay. get much uh, more blessed than that, um, but yeah, I'd, I'd say that you know, fortunately, there are some third parties out there that are good at building uh, tools that allow you to set up not only a sync, a synchronization between your databases, but to make that sync two-way and automatic if you if you want. Um, so we're we're leveraging that, and I think the number of data integrations that a company like ours does just increases all the time because people are. Uh, inventing new smart web applications all the time and we really are not trying to be all things to all people we're trying to specialize in what we think of as the big three for online engagement and those are fundraising advocacy and email um, and then uh... to a lesser extent um, you know different permutations of fundraising so uh, so this year, for example, we're making a major move into peer-to-peer fundraising that we're very excited about. Uh, at the same time, though, we're trying to embed more and more functionality that is all about social media integration. And I know that's a topic that uh, is near and dear to your heart.
2: Yeah, it's a, it's a topic that uh, my my uh, listeners are keenly interested in because it seems to be a moving target. So. Um, I I do want to get into some more of the specifics beyond uh, sort of the the platform itself um, and the integration, which I'm really glad that you have that sort of nailed down because I think that that opens the door to have a further discussion. So um, before we get into the the very specific types of things that you can do, um, let's take another step back and help us understand what are the trends that you're seeing in the way that charities are raising money online right now and and sort of couple with that what you see for 2015 as sort of the smart moves.
3: Sure. Well, I think that um, we've seen in the last couple of years uh, a lot of nonprofits are starting to finally use the tools that were invented some years ago but, but very few of the nonprofits were using them and that was a big missed opportunity and uh, in particular I'm talking about these high leverage tools that can really move the needle in a big way on your fundraising results online um, one of the most important ones of all is in fact mobile optimization of everything you do on your website um, and in your email and by that i mean you know more and more people as we all know are accessing websites through their smartphones and their tablets like the ipad and so if you haven't optimized your pages your donation pages your uh, landing pages for petitions, landing pages for surveys or event registrations, anything you will not see nearly the results that you would that you would be seeing had you created a mobile optimized version, some people call it mobile responsive version of those pages and so you know we invested a lot of resources in making it dirt simple for our clients to basically click an icon that automatically generates the the code necessary to optimize the pages for mobile access. But a lot of nonprofits weren't doing that until recently. When they do it, they see dramatically increased completion rates on those pages and so much higher fundraising results. Um, And actually, uh, last year there was a great article in Fundraising Success Magazine, which I guess has just rebranded itself Nonprofit Pro. But Fundraising Success did a, uh, a great article called Mobile Madness, Um, co-authored by uh, Karen Kirchhoff and Jeff Reagan, about our client Humane Society International and how they were able to increase online giving by 76% in a single year. And if you read the article, you see the main reason was simply optimizing their donation pages for mobile access and seeing terrifically higher results. So that's one of many examples of tools that I think, you know, took a while to catch on, but now people really get it because they can see the results from doing it.
2: Well, and... and, and, and yeah, and I think that is a very very important uh, uh, topic for you to to bring up because it's not just about website, but what we but we also don't want to send the message that the that your website isn't still important. Um, it's just that the mobile platform and the ease of use um, and some of the sort of the standards um, that are expected um, is uh, is is really something that is important if you're going to have a chance at. Uh, really reaching your donors where they already are. Not sort of where they're going, uh, but where um uh where they are. Um and I'm glad that you mentioned fundraising um success uh magazine because uh the, the great folks over there of course are always uh very supportive here of uh the nonprofit coach. They always promote the nonprofit coach and they uh, they did a nice job uh in promoting your um uh, your participation here. Uh so we do want to uh, give a shout out to the great folks at fundraising Success Magazine, which you can find at com. So uh, thank you, Clint, for opening that door.
3: Well, you know, the the other tool that we're starting to see many more clients finally using, not just talking about, is um, email triggers that allow you to set up an automated pre-programmed series of emails uh, on a rolling basis. And the, the best example of that, uh, the most powerful application of that, is the welcome series. You know, when when a new supporter signs up for a nonprofit's email list, it's really vital that they get a welcome response very quickly uh, while it's still fresh in their mind that they signed up, but also a way to further deepen the engagement, you know, hopefully in a two-way fashion so that you're not just broadcasting information didactically out to the supporter, but you're also inviting them to comment, cast a vote, fill out a survey, and of course, you know, make donations. And so the welcome series is an incredibly important tool for increasing conversion of supporters into donors. Um, and for that matter, if done, you know, in a really sophisticated way, it's a great way to upsell a one-time donor into a, a recurring donor, you know, like a monthly donor. So I would say the advent of email triggers, and more importantly, the fact that nonprofits are starting to use email triggers, is quite exciting on the landscape. Um, and the same could be said for email split testing, which is, you know, these are all tools we build into the software for clients, but just because it's there and you urge them to use it, it's, you know, its no guarantee they're going to use it. So what's exciting is people starting to use these levers and seeing the results. Um, and I guess actually as long as I'm listing out these major levers, the other huge one is the power of segmenting your your support base so that you can talk to them in a personalized way. Uh, which manifests itself in software like ours in the ability to conditionalize the content, personalize the content, both in the outbound emails but also on the landing pages so that you can pre-populate the data fields on a landing page with that particular supporter's unique information, you know, not just their name, um, not just their contact information, maybe the last four digits of their credit card, but also the proper ask string. You know, you can dynamically have that content adjust for the fact that this may be a high dollar donor that uh, historically has given you thousands of dollars a year that's not a donor you want to be offering the chance to donate ten dollars or twenty dollars or thirty dollars to and conversely if they're a low dollar donor you don't want to be asking them to donate a thousand or five or ten thousand dollars to you so the ability to have it right there in the software uh... the ability to leverage the information you've already collected on an individual supporter and stored in your database and have it uh, dictate the information that's displayed in real time is incredibly powerful. And now you see more and more nonprofits availing themselves of that powerful tool.
2: Well, and isn't this going right back to sort of the the basic core value of personalization and uh, making your donors feel connected to your organization, that they're not just a number they're not just a, a, a checkbook, and and a lot of what you're talking about, you know, back you know a decade ago, were some of the, some of the, the central themes of, you know, how to you know succeed in direct mail, and now that your donors have moved to the online space and they they have you literally in the palm of their hands, they don't want to be treated like a number there either.
3: Exactly, it's really the same core principle applied to these other media. But it hasn't changed. You're, you're trying to show your appreciation for the donor. You're trying to serve up the right information to the right person at the right time to so this whole one-to-one marketing dream, you know, fulfilled. And what makes it possible are these digital tools. Um, but you're right. It, at, at the core, it's no different from the kind of time-honored principles that, um, you know, somebody who works with major donors has has observed for decades, you know, getting getting research on an individual donor so that they can talk to that person in a knowledgeable, uh, a, knowledge, a knowledgeable way that honors uh, the, the the donation and the support that they're getting from that person.
2: So, in thinking about future campaigns and helping uh, my listeners today put all of this uh, uh, together, um, what are the different approaches that nonprofits? Um, are taking in terms of linking uh, online and offline in in various different uh, uh, campaigns. Are is is it all the the same look and feel? Are there different rules that, or um, what are you seeing in terms of the 2015 success in this environment?
3: Well, I think that um, as much as possible, the successful nonprofits, the ones who do fundraising. Uh, in a very powerful way, are creating that 360 degree view of each donor and each prospective donor. And they're doing it by, you know, collecting the data that they need through a variety of sources. And, and, you know, now more and more of that information is coming through social media and storing it back in the database in a master record uh, that can be synced up with uh, digital software like ours so that you, you have all that information at your fingertips and can make uh, maximum use of it. And I think that, you know, the tools are, are very helpful, but so is the the burgeoning, um, you know, understanding or realization on the part of nonprofits that you can increase your results using these tools. Um, because, you know, some of these tools have been around for a while, and, uh, and yet they weren't being used widely. So now they're being used much more widely. I think that um, there, it's now possible to to synchronize databases and do seg- you know, very sophisticated segmentation and create, uh, you know, segments or profiles. What we, actually, in our software, we call them profiles, but it's the same idea, based not only on demographics or on you know highest previous donation, but also on on uh, psychographics. You know, the, the obvious example in the in the animal welfare world would be, you know, you you, you figure out who are your supporters who love puppies and who are the ones who love kittens and serve up, you know, photos and and copy blocks accordingly that are going to be the most appealing to that particular supporter. And I think of it kind of as um, like a sort of more benign or benevolent stalking of your your supporters in order to get more knowledge about them, but then to, you know, conversely give them more valuable information that they care about uh, with more relevance to them. Uh, so that they can have a deeper level of engagement with your organization. I think, um, you know, this year in particular, I'm looking to see a lot more organizations come up with sophisticated segmentation strategies and, you know, it used to be if you wanted to create, let's say, ten different segments of your donor base, um, you know, and then you wanted to send out an email to them, you'd probably build it as ten separate email campaigns. And that's highly inefficient and laborious uh, for your staff. Well, now you don't have to do that. And likely
2: to create a scenario for error.
3: Very very true, exactly. And, you know, you want to reduce the potential for human error as much as possible. The great news is that the tools make that unnecessary now. I mean, you can literally create one campaign that has varying copy blocks of text within it, varying uh, graphics, uh, varying photos, and varying subject lines, you know, for your email. And, of course, it's personalized, so it's going to say, Um, dear Ted you know thanks for your previous donation we thought you would find this of interest and then serve up a message that's highly suited to you in particular Ted so um, now you can do all that dynamically it's happening on the fly in real time it doesn't require ten separate campaigns it's just one campaign and the reporting is there now too certainly in our software and some of the other platforms that are out there you can do very granular very visual reporting of what's happening uh, when you are communicating with your supporters, you can see not only click through but completion rates. You can see which particular content they're interacting with the most. Uh, you can see how often you can make judgments about the level of their engagement and responsiveness based on how frequently they respond and it 's all you know getting very easy to do for those nonprofits that care enough to invest themselves to learn these tools. Um, and they'll see great results from doing it. So I I think that power of segmentation is something we're going to see expressed more and more. I also think that social media is finally kind of turning the corner and becoming a valid uh, fundraising channel for nonprofits. I I hasten to add, I think it's still a a tiny fraction of what you can do uh, in terms of fundraising results from email, which is still the king of digital fundraising. But it's no longer nothing. It's no longer trivial. Uh, you can get some meaningful results directly through social media, and you can get lots of meaningful results indirectly through social media by yeah. sort of the combination effects with traditional fundraising.
2: Clint, I, I want to thank you for saying that because we've been saying that on this uh, on this show for quite some time, and I want to come back and I want to uh, really focus in more on that topic of Email is still uh, king. Social media is on the rise. It's the integration of online and offline that you're going to find success because I I think uh, a lot of my listeners, um, and and it's not faulting them at all because I think a a lot of uh, people are always looking for the silver bullet. Excuse me, just tell me what to buy, tell me what button to push, um, and, and the money won't come flowing in. And it takes real strategy to think through that and I and I know you know that and I want you to share that uh with our listening audience today as soon as we come back from this break just want to remind uh, listeners today that uh, we go on uh, a little bit of a, uh, a early New Year break uh, due to uh, travel and uh, a number of uh, different uh, conferences that I need to be at. I've got some international travel uh, to London and a number of different places that I need to be. So uh, what that means is that the nonprofit coach will be on hiatus following today's show. Coming back, uh, though, with the big fifth anniversary show, uh, so we will be Back live here on The Nonprofit Coach, March 31st for the big fifth anniversary show, if you can believe that, five years of The Nonprofit Coach. Uh, So mark your calendar. Uh, But between now and then are uh, great opportunities. Uh, We will send out uh, uh, reminders uh, each week just to give you the opportunity to get caught up on a lot of really terrific, and of course we have hundreds of podcasts all available free on all different types of topics Uh, relating to nonprofit management, fundraising, both online and offline, board management, fundraising uh, via foundation grants, corporate giving, online, direct mail. Um, So you name it, we have podcasts, and they're all available at uh, tedhart.com. So mark your calendar. Uh, March 31st, we will be back here live here on the Nonprofit Coach with the fifth anniversary show.
0: Every day, millions of people are online, many of whom want to help, volunteer, and donate to a good cause. Nonprofit organizations can use many Google tools to reach potential donors around the world and raise more money. And as an approved nonprofit, it doesn't cost a thing. It's all free. Google Grants helps you promote your website with free advertising on Google.com through the AdWords program. With Google AdWords, you create ads and choose words or phrases related to your nonprofit organization. When people search on Google using one of your phrases, your ad will appear next to the Google search results under the sponsored links section. AdWords allows you to target certain geographic areas, dates, and times of day for your ads to appear. YouTube for Nonprofits is another tool that can boost donations to your organization. The program offers a number of perks that get your message out there and drive viewers to take action and donate. You can list your organization on YouTube's nonprofit channel and add call-to-action overlays on your videos to drive viewers to donate. Need help analyzing your website traffic and marketing effectiveness? Google Analytics is a free tool that will give you rich insight and help you increase the number of people that visit and donate to your site. Google Analytics can be invaluable to many people in your organization such as development directors, marketing staff, and your web team. There are many other tools that can help you reach more donors and raise funds, like Google Checkout, where you can process credit card donations with no transaction fee, Google Sites to create a free website, and Website Optimizer, where you can figure out the best landing pages to turn site visitors into donors. To get started, apply for Google for Nonprofits today.
1: Remember, our podcasts and archives are always available 24 hours a day at tedhart.com. Click on Radio Links. If you're listening live today, the phone lines are open. Call in and ask a question by dialing 347 324 3080. Now, back to the Nonprofit Coach with Ted Hart.
2: And we're back here live with uh, Clint O'Brien from EngagingNetworks.net. Uh, Clint, before we went on the break, uh, you sort of uh, put the, the very smart statement out there that, uh, you know, for all the things that we discuss and, and everything that's written about, uh social media facebook other um social uh network opportunities for nonprofit organizations email is still uh the most important digital tool for nonprofits. Talk to me about why that is, and then the integration of these tools and what we're seeing in terms of the em- emerging opportunities but not yet the dominant opportunities in social media
3: sure well um So, I'm as excited as the next person about the potential uh, of social media and some of the early results that are already being seen from social media. But um, it's not even close to compare uh, what you can do from your social media efforts to what you can do from your email efforts. Email is the king, and I don't mean by a little, I mean it's by 10 times more powerful um it, that was true during the famous obama campaign in 2008 and again in 12 where the bulk of the money they raised was not from their website not from social media it was from email good old fashioned email and that's still true you know for most nonprofits who are listening today who understand this from their own experience um that said I would say social media loves email, and email loves social media. And a lot of the benefit you can see from social media depends on getting good at engaging people first through Facebook and Twitter and maybe YouTube, but then as quickly as possible trying to lever them into signing up for your email list because as a conversion channel, email is far more powerful. And in fact, on Facebook, which is, you know, of all the social media channels, by far the most important – Um, On Facebook, it's gotten increasingly hard to engage uh, meaningfully with people, at least through the organic methods uh, that we used to depend on. And that's for the simple reason that Facebook keeps changing the rules. And they own the real estate, so they they control the rules. And when they change them, the organic reach of your content that you post for free on Facebook plummets. And um, and that's certainly been the experience of a lot of nonprofits. So, um, you know, email remains really, really much more important, but there's a nice synergy, a nice combination effect from being clever in the way you use email and social media together. And certainly a lot of the early successes that some nonprofits have seen in social media have come about because of understanding that principle.
2: And in understanding that that principle for the – uh, listeners that we have today, what's the, sort of the step-by-step approach that you would recommend for 2015 in terms of uh, maximizing email but then maybe making this the year where you have some smart integration that begins if you've been meaning to do it or uh, you're caught in you know sort of that cycle with Facebook in particular that you once had some traction their rule changes have now made that less valuable to you.
3: Yeah, I mean the principle I've heard articulated is own your own data. You know, don't um, don't let Mark Zuckerberg own your data. <laughs> you know, um, and, and that means you know as quickly as possible try to create a new way of communicating with your social media followers. And email is still the best way because with email they're giving you permission to be in their private inbox. You know, potentially every day. Uh, that 's just incredibly powerful so so as quickly as possible, you try to get them into into the email bucket, but in the meantime, you know there 's a lot of powerful ways of communicating through Facebook and Twitter and increasingly youtube uh, Google I would say at a minimum, nonprofits should be making it easy for their supporters and donors to share actions with their with that particular supporter 's uh, followers or friends and the other social media uh, so for example, in our software. When you're building an email in our dashboard, uh, there are icons you can easily insert for Facebook and Twitter and Google+, Plus, so that when your supporter makes a donation or maybe signs a petition or takes some other action, all they have to do is click on that icon, let's say the Facebook icon, and share that action with all of their Facebook friends, you know, or their tribe. Uh, and And, you know, we actually take it a step beyond that because we think, You know, nonprofits shouldn't care so much about high reach through social media, which, you know, might give them a false picture of who their most important influential supporters are, but rather they should be focused on the results when a particular supporter shares through Facebook or social media. Uh, Results count so much more, so why not track results? So what we do is, with our software, we're um, storing a unique Oracle ID Every time one of your supporters, one of your nonprofit organization supporters shares on Facebook, so that if a friend of that person were to now see that share and click through and make a similar donation, you could tie it back to the first supporter. You would know ah that was you know that was Ted Hart when he shared on Facebook uh, ten people clicked through and made subsequent donations, so now you 've identified that Ted Hart is a true influencer not just based on a high reach on facebook but more importantly based on the results when he shares um, the example i like to give is comparing myself to my daughter who's uh... just turned eighteen you know she makes me look like a piker when it comes to the number of facebook followers she has i think three thousand facebook friends and i have a couple hundred um, but if she were to share the fact that she donated to your nonprofit with her tribe very little would happen because most of her friends are young and don't have income and probably not a history of donating to nonprofits, whereas the old fuddy-duddy me, if I share, you know, most of my friends are old geezers like me who have donated to nonprofits and have some income and care about tax deductions and things like that. So I'm your true influencer, not my daughter, um, and, and you need to know that. You need to identify that and track it and then serve up content accordingly by recognizing that I'm really valuable to your organization so you can cater to me in special powerful ways. I,
2: and not uh, one of the things that we've discussed on this show and, and those who are listening who have been uh to some of my lectures I re, I refer to those true influencers as your aunt mables. Yeah, you know, those those people uh you know who who are listened to and followed by by other people and can take your content and share that uh, with people that are likely to actually read it and uh, take action and the special attention that you need to provide uh, to your uh, your aunt mabel's or I guess your uncle clint's um, who uh, who are out there that um, you know to to reach out to them to even uh, possibly meet with them in person just as you would in a regular campaign those of influence become uh, those who can help make your campaign successful because it's not just who you are able to reach yourself but it's who you can reach through your network
3: Mm -hmm. absolutely and you know you talked about how it's a moving target it very much is years ago in our software we would monitor the usage by our clients uh, what they were doing and when they would build an email campaign uh, they would use the email tell a friend feature and give that, you know, prime position in the in the email. Now we're seeing less and less of that, and rather our clients are using the Facebook share icon and the, the Twitter share icon, the Google Plus share icon. Th- that's where virality increasingly is coming from. It's coming from social media as opposed to spreading the word through email. So, you know, this there's an exception to every general statement. And while I still believe email is by far the more powerful channel, there's a definite, you know, turning of the corner that's happening with many, many nonprofit supporters right now. Well, and, I, and, I do want and, to say – go ahead. Yeah. Well,
2: I was going to say, um, so the, the the story here for 2015 is – how to successfully use social media uh, as a prompt and a feeder uh, as opposed to being your campaign itself.
3: Exactly, and as an engagement tool, as a way to simply deepen your level of engagement uh, or, you know, to use the old metaphor we're familiar with, you know, moving your supporters up the ladder of engagement or pyramid of engagement or double helix of engagement, whatever you choose to call it. Um, that's this, this is a really powerful way to do that and you know probably there's no better example uh in recent history than the ice bucket challenge. Uh right. I don't know about you Ted but I first heard about the ice bucket challenge when a friend of mine on Facebook called me out, you know, among three people he was calling out, he said, "I just dumped this bucket on my head. Now I call out Clint O'Brien to do the same and make a donation to the ALS Association." So, guess what? You know, without social media, ALS would not have gotten my donation and I would not have humiliated myself in front of my kids and my friends with the ice right. bucket. And, and, and they made it fun, and they made it interesting, and it truly was viral.
2: But let, let's bring that down to so real-world terms. How likely is it that that, that kind of lightning in a bottle is going to happen again
3: anytime soon? <clears throat> well, precisely. I think you know there were so many ingredients present to make that lightning happen, uh... that it's going to be really hard for no other nonprofits to replicate that model Um it's it's one of the grand exceptions that proves the rule um, but you know it was an option precisely because of social media and it would not have been nearly as easy for any nonprofit to create a viral sensation like that in the days before social media so you know i i do think um, you know that's not sort of a high percentage strategy for most nonprofits but I think we can all learn the lesson, which is to say, if you have a great cause and a great symbol, you know like the 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 man who started that whole campaign, and you have a way to spread it very visually and captivatingly um you know in a peer to peer sense uh that's that's a whole lot of power uh, and 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 the broader statement could be made about social media in general that peer to peer fundraising which had already been established and very successful for decades before before the advent of Facebook and other social media, is now that much more powerful because it is amplified through social media. Uh, when you do a run, walk, or ride event to, to raise money and you're trying to hit up your friends and family to donate to the cause, how handy is it that you can just go on Facebook and broadcast to them or, t- or tweet out to your friends? I mean, it's a, it's a great extension of an older tool that powerfully amplifies it, and, and I think that's really true of social media in general.
2: Well, and I think what, what's so powerful about your message is this is something that you and I have been, you know, saying for, you know, almost since the the advent of online and social media, and we've both been there since, uh, since the beginning, um, is that these are extensions of tried and true relationship building uh, tools, and it's understanding that, yes, these are new tools, and there are new techniques that allow you to wield the power of these tools, but the baseline is it's still about bringing people together into a sense of community and giving them an opportunity to care about that community by making a donation, um, uh, uh, participating in advocacy, but nonetheless coming together and building a relationship.
3: Exactly. and And, you know, social media is a great way to, you know, build the donor's propensity to give. Uh, If you can successfully engage people on social media, they're much more likely to give when you email them, for example. Or, Of course, you can run the fundraising campaigns in both media simultaneously, both channels. You'll see more results through email, but chances are, if those people are also downstream of your social media messages, they're much more likely to give. And certainly, on an anecdotal basis, that's what a lot of nonprofits are now starting to report. Um, And there's also an attribution challenge internally within a nonprofit organization, because... Somebody might start out as a supporter who first becomes aware of the nonprofit through social media, let's say through the Facebook page, but then they eventually uh, sign up for the email list and 6 months later they finally make their first donation. Was should that donation be credited to the email channel or should it be credited to social media? The entry point was social media. The conversion point was email. So I would say that's a that's a classic example of a combination effect where the two channels are working together quite nicely. It's less important who you attribute it to, but you have to recognize that both played an important role.
2: Well, and so, it's, it, I think what,
3: what also you
2: said that, that's very powerful and important is um, this is about the long view. Um, and yes, um, it, particularly in larger organizations, it matters sort of where it came from or sort of where the credit goes to, but I, I sort of tend to come from the school thought that all ships rise together, and it's the integration of all these tools. It's not to say, well, you know, Facebook is going to make all the difference here, or email is necessarily going to make all the difference, and so we can get rid of uh, direct mail. All of those tools working together, and all those tools need to change as your strategy evolves, Um, but it's it's not the case that any one of them is more powerful uh, than the other if you have an integrated strategy.
3: Correct. And and it's also important to develop content marketing skills for all these channels. Uh, uh, There's a guy, Sean Dakin, who's really good at at, uh, producing content, and he preaches this gospel all the time, that it's all about creative content marketing. Um, For that matter, uh, some of your your listeners may know um, Michael Hoffman from C3 Communications, and he's very high on the power of video, which they've now tested with some of their clients to significantly, and I mean like quadruple the results when you integrate video. But, you know, even Michael admits that uh, on Facebook nowadays the organic reach has has been so reduced that if you release a video on Facebook and you're not going to buy some paid ads on Facebook around it or maybe some paid sponsored posts on Facebook, don't bother. Your your video is, is not going to do anything special. It's not going to go viral. But if you are willing to properly support it, the creative content in that video could produce, you know, dramatic results. And so whether it's text based creative content or video based or something else, it does assume that you're good at content marketing and you figured out a way to make that dovetail with fundraising.
2: Well, and, and in in uh in dovetailing that, talk a little bit about um because we're we're now uh, starting to get to the last segment uh, of the show here. Uh, we have about 12 minutes left, and I know that the, the issue of advocacy is one that your platform um, has particular expertise in. Not all of our listeners are going to necessarily be uh, involved in sort of true advocacy of a political nature, but those tools also build community in different ways.
3: Well, absolutely. Um, yeah, actually, our company, uh, until 2008, was called Advocacy Online, and that was our primary focus, and it's still a really important, you know, focus. I mentioned that for us, the Holy Trinity are, is fundraising, advocacy, and email marketing, and so we're trying to, you know, always be best in class in all three of those set areas. But, um, yeah, from my time at CARE2 in particular, what I learned uh, countless times with countless organizations was the power of combining advocacy and fundraising I think that's pretty well known uh, here in the United States and Canada. It's getting better known in the U.K. and some other markets. But basically the, the statistics show that someone who's willing to take an online action for you, such as signing a petition, is something like seven times more likely to go on and make a donation if you ask them than someone who does not take that action for you first. And even if you control for... Past donations by excluding from the sample any past donors, the multiple is still about four to one, where that action taker is four times more likely to donate. So clearly, your advocacy supporters are potential donors, just as conversely, your donors are potential advocacy action takers for you. So there's a, a there's no reason uh, to silo you know that side of your organization off from from the fundraising side because really they can work really well together. Um, kind of like you know chocolate and peanut butter are tasting great together it 's kind of that sort of situation um, that said, there are plenty of successful fundraising nonprofits that don 't do advocacy, and many of them are our clients and they 've found other creative ways to engage with their clients beyond. You know advocacy. Um, if you if you are not an advocacy based organization, you create other ways to to create a sense of urgency. Um, you know certainly again looking back at the ALS example, the ice bucket challenge, the urgency is around the fact that very little dollars are being spent to cure this horrible disease. Uh, The person who started the campaign was dying of the disease, or actually was a good friend of someone who was dying. And, you know, that's a way to create urgency too. So uh, nonprofits don't have to be advocacy-based to see great results online, but it it is pretty darn helpful if if you do uh, advocacy. It's true.
2: But what if you're not engaged directly in advocacy? Are those principles still centered around um, sort of the, the meeting point of uh good content and building relationships
3: exactly i mean i the the word it's in it's in the title of our company engaging networks the engagement is the key is you know don't make me as you're a donor feel like I'm just a wallet to you, I'm just an a t m um you know make me feel like I'm special like you care what I think because chances are I'm supporting you uh for very important reasons important to me anyway. Uh, maybe a, a member of my family or a good friend of mine was affected by a disease or by an injustice. And so I, I appreciate your organization is supporting that cause, advancing that cause. Um, that's, that's a very heartfelt, passionate thing for me. So I need to be talked to in a personal way where I feel as if you care about what I think, and, and the proof is you're asking me what I think. You know, it's a two-way conversation. Um, so it's it's about engagement fundamentally, and, and that's certainly not limited to advocacy organizations.
2: Well, and, and it's that two-way communication that I think freaks out a, a lot of nonprofit organizations because while uh, there's no doubt that they desire the money um, it, to be able to support the mission of the organization, it's the capacity or the genuine interest in having a relationship that is a two-way relationship that I think opens up a, a, a whole new Uh, perspective for a lot of uh, nonprofit organizations, particularly leadership, maybe not the fundraising team, maybe not the the public relations team who sort of get the relationship aspect, but what about beyond that and making the case throughout the organization that that's where the true value comes from and where the true engagement comes from.
3: Well, exactly. And, and again, you know, circling back to social media, that's what's so powerful and, and intriguing about social media is now there are listening tools, um, and and you've probably heard of some of them. Uh, one of the ones I'm very familiar with is Attentively, which is a listening tool. Uh, and, and I have a good friend there, Rosalind Lemieux, who I was talking to in anticipation of coming on with you about kind of the philosophy she's developed on social media. And these tools uh, allow you to not just listen to your supporters but to then tag people in your CRM database based on their interests so that you now know what what is going to appeal to them, what are their hot buttons, uh, what kind of personalized content is going to really resonate with them. Um, And that's true for fundraising, but it's also true for, you know, any other form of support that you might be looking for from this person. It might be to sign a petition, it might be to turn out for a rally, Uh, it might be to volunteer, for your organization, uh, or to come to a local event that you're having. And, you know, by virtue of collecting information not only on your website now, but through Facebook and through Twitter and Google Plus and YouTube, you know, this is becoming really powerful. It it also has the potential, of course, to become a little creepy. (laughs) So you have to be sensitive to that factor. But, um, But, you know, you can not only store the information, but retrieve it at the right moment and use that information that's in your database. Incredibly powerful stuff. Yeah, I, I think it's a, it's about,
2: um, and, and certainly you don't want to you know, br- start moving into sort of the creepy factor, but I think it's more a factor of respect in that your donors are investing in you, they're investing in your mission, they care about your organization, and your capacity to return that favor by respecting the relationship, deepening the relationship, and, and respecting their point of view on whatever aspect of your mission is most important to them, um, I think really spells the difference between success and failure.
3: Exactly, exactly. And, you know, I I should also at this point give a shout-out to um, another uh, technology company in the space called Action Sprout. A number of nonprofits have found that uh, Action Sprout has helped them design uh, engaging actions on Facebook because they're kind of Facebook specialists to then further uh, recruit people and eventually get them to sign up for email lists. Uh, a friend of mine, John Stahl, is now at Philanthropy Northwest, but he used to be with Action Sprout, and I was chatting with him about this topic, and I know, and I had already heard, even back when I was at Care2, that Action Sprout was starting to get some traction as an acquisition channel. I think it's important to manage expectations. I think the quantity of supporters and donor prospects you can acquire through these channels is still quite modest, just as it... Uh, to some nonprofits, it's still a pretty modest quantity you can get through uh, Google search advertising um, and the Google grants program. But that the fact that the numbers are still modest doesn't mean you should sit back and ignore them. It means now's a good time to get in there and experiment, you know, and allocate some resources, you know, re- understanding that that's not where you're going to see your major benefit, but that you need to understand these things because they are growing in importance and the, and the results are growing too. So now's a great time, I think, for a lot of organizations to, get used to these new acquisition channels, but more importantly, to get used to these new social media as engagement channels, um, and allocate their investments accordingly. I I still, you know, I'm biased, of course, because of my time at Care2, but I I know based on my experience there at Care2 uh, that that form of acquisition is, you know, can deliver much higher results because of the quantity along with the quality. Uh, and that's the quantity is still in most cases lacking in social media but uh but but, on the other hand, you can acquire lots of really interesting information about your existing supporters through social media um which is long term incredibly important and
2: and in again, it goes back to respecting the relationship and treating um each of these individual donors where they have an individual relationship with your your charity, you need to, and oftentimes it requires the smart use of technology, return that favor by by treating them as individuals and respecting their particular interest and point of view as it relates to the mission of your organization. Um, Clint, we just have three minutes uh, left, so I do want to ask you to wrap up the show with uh, best tips for uh, 2015 success and then make sure that my listeners know how they can reach you.
3: Sure. Um, well I'll start with the easy bit which is how to reach me I'm at Clint my email address is clint at engaging dot net clint at engaging networks dot net um, they could also just come to our website and, and uh, our phone numbers are there including for our Washington D.C. headquarters um, or they can tweet me uh, at, clint, at Clinton O'Brien is my uh, Twitter handle um, I think I uh, think I think it's really important for nonprofits to to do a couple of things uh, before they embark on a big social media fundraising strategy. One of them is good old-fashioned market research of who your best donors and supporters are, surveying them, uh, analyzing the information you have already stored in your database about them, because if you can understand what has succeeded for you up to now, you can better go forth and find more people like them, uh, which is always a more powerful strategy than trying to pioneer new segments that that don't already have some organic, natural appeal for your mission and message. So I would start with the market research, uh, something that they drilled into us in business school. Uh, understand who your customers are, in this case, the nonprofit setting. Understand who your supporters and donors are. Um, the other thing I would do is figure out what, what are your important metrics, because it's easy to get led astray and follow vanity metrics we were talking before about how reach sheer reach can be a vanity metric that ultimately is not important it 's just kind of beguiling um, What matters is the results that you can achieve, but that's going to be different for every organization there's the obvious fundraising results, but there might be advocacy oriented results there might be volunteer oriented results um also you have to consider your other other channels because a lot of these leads are going to be best converted through direct mail or telemarketing. And so you need to think about the interplay between your various channels. But if you can settle on what those metrics are and establish in your software, hopefully good software like ours that has really powerful reporting capabilities, you can do the analysis and the tracking so that you can continually optimize your strategies as you go. I mean, that's one of the glories of the Internet and digital tools in general is that you can fail fast and fail forward, and uh, and keep going and and so thank failure you, is no longer learn, learn
2: from uh, learn from the the data and utilize the data but don't don't get too hung up in it don't don't try to have fifty levels of matrix uh, when you really need to nail three of them uh, Clint O'Brien from EngagingNetworks.net thank you so much for being with us I hope that uh, perhaps you'll have time to uh, call in to the fifth anniversary show that is when we will be live back here on. Uh, the Nonprofit Coach that is on March 31st and I invite all of my guests between now and then all my listeners uh, to please catch up with podcasts you might have missed they're all available at tedhart.com and I will be back with you next month everyone take care bye bye
1: you've been listening to the Nonprofit Coach Radio Show with Ted Hart Tell all your friends to check out our production schedule and download our iPod and iPad friendly podcast at tedhart.com. Thanks for listening to the nonprofit coach. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com.
0: It's my little escape.
1: Now Judy's the life of the party.
0: Oh baby, Mama's bringing home the bacon.
1: Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> 18 plus.